Well, hello, and uh, welcome to episode three of the Arrow School for Men podcast. Um, I'm just honored today to be able to uh, bring to you uh, one of the the mentors, um, coach, uh, Coach Craig Beverlin. Uh, we call him Coach Bev. Um, a man who who pushed me, a man who believed in me, a man who gave me sound wisdom at multiple points in my life, and um, I will always see him as coach. Um, my son just asked me right before I started this podcast, does, does he still coach? And, and as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, he still does. Not actively on the field, but um, I see still coaching men and um, and is coaching his family, and um, and that's one of the thing as the the Aero School for Men practical man training. Um, Coach Bev trained me. He he honed specifically my muscles, my my ability to play football. He was my football coach at Kamaik in high school. But more than that, he he trained my character. He helped me see certain things. He he understood the big picture, and uh, he didn't just grow me as a football player, but he grew me as a man. So I just want to introduce um, Coach Bev and um, Coach Bev. Just welcome, and um, I think the first question uh, that I have is just of, hey, what is the testimony of how God grew you from being a boy uh, to being a man, and um, and all along the way? I just, I, I love hearing your stories, so I want to give you the floor. Okay. It's good being with you, Zach, even though we're about 4,000 miles away, right? Yep, exactly. The beauty of technology, and believe me, if my wife wasn't here, we wouldn't be talking because she's had to help me on everything. Yeah, my uh, testimony is a long one, and I'm not going to give it today. Uh, I'll give pieces of it because I don't want to bore the audience. But it's important how it's interwoven with boy to a man, and it really is a reflection on things that I didn't know that God was right there with me. And kind of a verse, I'm paraphrasing it somewhat, but he, when I'm lost, he has chased me down. And sometimes it taken, I'm 73 years old, and sometimes it took me till I was 55, and I figured, yeah, he chased me down. He, he gave me that. Why didn't I understand that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes get caught up in our ego, too much pride. Pride is probably one of the biggest obstacles I think most men have. At least I hope somebody's out there thinking they got I do. Much pride. I do. I definitely do. So, and, and the thing about uh, chasing me down, uh, I'm going to give you some, I mean, I think your audience will think you're exaggerating. Well, let's see. This is something. I got my first head job at age 29. And it was a school, I think, that lost 18 games straight the last two years. Hmm. Very difficult school, uh, dangerous school. And I prayed hard, and uh, I got the job. And I went from a fourth-grade teacher to a head football coach at a pretty good high school, I mean, a conference. And, of course, this team was the doormat of the league. But I was so anxious to be a head football coach. And when I prayed, I prayed to God, help me in every way. Hmm. So. Two weeks before school started, they had two, we had two weeks of football practice. So the first day of football practice, I came at 3 o'clock in the morning. I, I couldn't sleep. You know, it was my first head job. I had my uh, football spandex shorts on those days. <laughs> and uh, opened up the 
doors. You know, it was three o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, there's two cops, two big guys hmm. in the hallway, and they have, they're starting to arrest me. Oh, no. No one, no one told me that the school had a silent alarm. <laughs> and so here I am, my first day starting as a football coach, and my arms are up on the wall. Oh, These guys are checking me out, and I never talked so fast in my life. I said, hey, I'm the new head football coach here. I didn't know there was an alarm. And anyhow, I, they didn't handcuff me, but that got around everywhere in that community at school. And, of course, things like that, they kind of get exaggerated a little bit. But, Zach, that was God poking me hmm. because it came across to the football players and the parents and the administration. This coach is coming in to change things. He was here at 3 o'clock in the morning. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, it, that story just ran continually. And I didn't. I didn't give God any credit. You know, wow. I was embarrassed about it. But reflecting back that, remember, when, you, when you're down or what, he, he's chasing you down. And I had a lot of pride there, a lot of pride in those days. So then two weeks later, school starts. And um, I made up my mind that uh, the school, you're, no one's going to use language that you never would have on TV. I was always that way. You know, I'm yep. here as an example. So it was a very hot first day of school. Now, remember, just two weeks ago, I was almost arrested. <laughs> and uh, the uh, doors were open, very humid. It was in the Midwest. And uh, I'm teaching. I got a white shirt on, got an orange and blue tie to represent the school colors, nice slacks. You got it. And I no more start speaking and lecturing. And three guys come by my door using filthy language. So I step out. I say, hey, you guys, come here a minute. And they, all, they called me a name. And I said, wow. I said young man, um, we're going to have to go to the front office. And I barely touched his elbow. And he swung, swung around and hit me full in the lips. Split my lips. And I got blood all over my white shirt. <laughs> No, here I am. First day of school, and I knew it was a rough school, but probably if your audience is there, when they listen to this, I've got a loud voice just speaking normally. And this kid's ready to fight me, and he's the other two are, I'm, so I'm being circled by these three guys. And I got the blood dripping down, and I yelling, you guys get up against the wall. And two of the guys did. Wow. But, but the guy that hit me, uh, I knew I could take him down, you know, bigger, stronger. Uh, and I took him down, didn't hit him, but I got him in a headlock. Another teacher came out and said that, uh, hey, I know who they are. Just let them go. And by this time, I think the police were starting to come. And, uh, you know, <laughs> they, they ran off. I Hopefully, I think it might have been the same two guys <laughs> that had me when I showed up at the school at 3 in the morning. <laughs> so, anyhow, this story goes on all day. And uh, I go out to football practice. And our kids, our uh, players are out there. They're, they're doing jumper jack, jumping jacks. They're doing push-ups. They're doing... I'm just going, my gosh, because we struggled. I had to fire two coaches the first two weeks of football practice. Hmm. They just weren't 
the leaders we wanted in any way, language, everything. And so a really difficult time. And uh, one of the coaches comes up to me and he says, don't say a word about anything that happened today. He said, it's all over school that you beat up three guys and they're in the hospital. (laughs) 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 A little later, everybody, I found that out. And anyhow, I got home that night. My dad called me. And my dad, like a lot of men in my neighborhood, were bigots. Hmm. And my dad said, "Uh, what kind of day did you have? And I told him what I just shared with you. Mm -hmm. And he said, I told you not to go out there with those N, you know, use the N word. Hmm. And I said, Dad, all three guys were white. Hmm. And he says, well, who were they? I said, they were young adults. They were 20, 21, and I think 22. And they were all from a rich area of the town, and they were jacked up on drugs. Hmm. So that incident, plus with the you know the three o'clock morning thing, really, when I reflect back, God God was there. Yeah, it, it was His plan, and I I know that might sound crazy, but we went on to win the first conference title, first time in the playoffs, and I don't think that ever would have happened without those two incidents, Zach. Hmm. And so uh, I've still learned to try to throttle my pride over the years. I love giving that example. I've shared that story to many, many clinics and the places I've been, and everyone jumps right away to the conclusion, well, it must be African-Americans, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and there's so, so many teachable things on this. And then uh, there was a young man named Ronnie Griffin. Do you remember him? I remember the award for him. I don't think I actually ever met him or knew anything well, this specifically. Is, yeah, and, and I'm still a lukewarm Christian, which is hard to believe. If and here I'm praying to God, and he 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 hand delivered these things on a silver plate, and I'm still not catching on. No one's accused me of being the sharpest pencil, and and <laughs> I, but things are starting. He's just poking at me, and I just. And uh, so Ronnie Griffin, this young man, comes from Louisiana, and uh, he turns out to be a terrific running back. And he, uh, uh, outstanding student, and he's the first player we ever had that every game on Friday night, he brought his Bible, and he Hmm. read the Bible. And it wasn't fake or phony. He was just that devout. Wow. And I'm going, this young man's got it all going. Well, about the middle of the season, he starts fumbling all the times and, and stumbling. And we say, you better go to the doctor. Turns out he's got an inoperable brain tumor. Wow. And I'm just, I'm just, I'll probably cry now. I mean, it just, and his parents decide to fly him to Houston. I guess they had some of the best in the world, supposedly, on this type of cancer. And uh, the day we went to the airport to send him off, and we have a large staff. I think there was 12 or 13 of us coaches, and we're all crying. Mm-hmm. And Ronnie says, Coach, all of you, don't worry. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Well, uh, a year later, uh, he was able to come back, and he could barely walk. But we established a Ronnie Griffin Award, and uh, we have that still at that high school. To give to kids that have, you know, unbelievable situations, maybe, you know, crippled, wheelchair, 
terrible disease, and Ronnie Griffin has carried that name uh, for many, many years at our school. But the bigger item, at least for my personal life, remember I told you I was I was more of a lukewarm Christian than a real devout Christian. Right. When he died, they asked me if I could go down to Lake Charles, Louisiana, to give a eulogy. I said, you bet. I'll be born happy. So I flew down there and never been to Lake Charles. I'd been to Louisiana because I did my active duty at Fort Polk, Louisiana uh, for the Army National Guard. So I knew a little bit about Louisiana and, and pitched baseball down in Louisiana, too. But uh, I go to this Catholic church and uh, every color in the rainbow is there. And it's a priest uh, that uh, he, he talks first and gives a eulogy. And I believe it was all in French because I didn't understand one word. And, you know, the Cajun talk, you know, my wife's a Cajun, so she always makes fun of me, you know, about not being able to understand her sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes we couldn't. I was in her class, and sometimes we could not understand her sometimes uh, as well. I know. I know. (laughs) We loved her. (laughs) But uh, anyhow, uh, I go up and I talk for 20, 22 minutes. And uh, I'm done, and and everyone's standing applauding, hmm. and and I'm going, okay, don't I don't know why. And to this day, I can't remember one word I said in that twenty hmm. or twenty-two minutes. And that's when I get, I got on the plane the next morning, and I thought all the way back to the state of Washington. I'm going, am I this doggone dumb? Am I just this pride? I cannot remember a word I said. And then mm-hmm. I started reflecting back on this school with the fight, the three o'clock morning thing. And it just hit me. And I said, why? Why? I mean, I need to talk to someone. And uh, I did. And I started talking to people that really knew the book, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really became a much stronger, stronger man and Christian. And I think a lot of us, we get so caught up in this world, Zach, yeah. that you don't reflect. And then when you're older, like I am, and, you know, a big day for me is going to Outback, <laughs> <laughs> that you, I, I can't believe I didn't catch on to all those things. Mm-hmm. So. So I I have a always be humble, empathetic, and the church I go to. I mean, we all have different things when we want on a church. I love the church I go to, and of course we're doing virtual learning now and so on. But what I love about our church is everybody's humble. Mm-hmm. No one no one wears a suit and tie. You can if you want. Our pastors are come out in blue jeans and t-shirt or whatever, but they're highly educated men. We never have an offering. So for me, I found the ideal church. And of course, we have a very large congregation, wonderful people. And I started going to a one-on-one discipleship uh, for nine weeks. And on and on and on, Zach, I was on fire. And I still am. That's so cool. Well, and I remember, I think I remember praying for you while I was on the team because I kind of knew that there was something there, but I didn't know how strong 
Right. Um, and yet it's cool. It's like God was chasing you that entire time. And now looking back, you can see that. But it's so cool that God was still working through you. Like yeah. he didn't wait until till today, right? He didn't wait until you, you know, it right. is so cool that he is working, you know, and like for me, the ways that you, you challenged us, like you, you didn't let us stay boys. Like if we wanted to be on the team, we had to be at least on the path to manhood or else yeah. you yeah. get kicked off the team, right? I mean, or, you know, like yeah. you're well, going to beat I, us up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, 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 we were always about uh, grades first, student first, athlete second. A lot of people talk those words, but that was huge mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the other thing is, well, I'll, I'll get into culture and everything here later. I'll just, I know the next thing you were talking about, spirituality. Yeah. And uh, I've got an incredible, I mean, I'm, I keep saying this, incredible stories. But this is what we're here for, right? Yeah. And so that's the thing of, of really these stories, I feel they help us, I think, better remember, you know, because yeah. we could have 40 principles about you should do this and this and this and this as a man. Exactly. But it's so much easier when you hear something or you watch someone live something out. So, yeah, that's mm-hmm. kind of the next, you know, what's what's a practical tip or a story about how a man provides and protects spiritually of of really how do you grow in spiritual strength yeah and then for what purpose do we have spiritual strength well there are a lot of things there and i'll just cherry pick a little bit what i've got written down here and what i really believe deep down in an unbelievable story is is you just got to constantly be humble and empathetic and and spirituality is if you have negative thoughts and it's easy to get negative thoughts there's a lot mm-hmm. of people out there that want to pull you down uh poor self-talk and then the most important thing is excuses I, oh, I don't think i'm gonna go to church you know i, I this and that i didn't like that th- i didn't like the songs i know mm-hmm. when my mom and dad came out when they were alive and uh, I was really anxious to show them our church and everything and bless their hearts. Uh, and, and like I told you, my dad was a bigot. He was in his last 25 years of his life. And that's another part of the story. Maybe we get to someday down the road. But yeah. um, they dressed up and they went to the church and they were mad. So no one dresses up in this church. I said, mm-hmm. they, they want to be inviting. Yeah, and they don't care. They just want you to come and listen and hear the gospel and listen about Jesus's life and so that no one. And in the following years, when they came out, they said we just can't go to that church. Well, there's hmm. a there's a lot of, to pack in there on that, but I'm not going to go there. But I, it it you know it hurt my feelings. But uh, later on in life, they realize it doesn't matter what you wear. Hmm. It doesn't you know. You don't have to wear a tie to say, you know, this. But uh, on the spirituality thing, the excuses, when you make an excuse, and you lose your power. Mm-hmm. When you, Zach Miller, and you think you got beaten out, and all day you're talking about, well, that's because it's favoritism. There's someone there. We all, we all sometimes get into that area, mm-hmm. and you got to fight it. You gotta fight it. 
because it blocks the spirit. It blocks everything. Hmm. The self-talk has got to be huge. Get up in the morning, make your bed, get after it. I'll talk more about the work ethic, too, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there's a, some people have this spirit you never recognize. I, I'm not going to name this person because I didn't get permission to tell a story, but uh, it was uh, one of our players, and their dad died. And, his, and this player's dad was a, a bus driver for us for 25 years for all our football games. And I knew him by first name and had a little talk with him, but didn't really know him. Anyhow, he died, and I, I went to his funeral, and I go to the church, and there's only like two places to sit. And it's in the back row. The church is absolutely packed. Mm. And I'm going, what? You know, you're thinking, I, I mean, this guy was a bus driver. And, of course, that's arrogance on my part right away, right? <laughs> right, Zach? <laughs> I mean, this guy, he was our bus driver, and mm-hmm. this church is packed. Now, remember, humble, empathetic. You got you to just got to keep saying those things, doing those things, and that spirituality will stay with you and help you fight things and fight down excuses. What well, turns out this man, being a bus driver, he, w- he had a large family himself, I think five children, and over the years, him and his wife brought in foster children. Mm-hmm. So they asked all the foster children that lived in this house, would they come up to the stage? And I think there were like 25. Oh, wow. And some of them traveled from long distances. And I'm going, I mean, I got goosebumps telling the story right now, mm-hmm. Zach. I mean, and I got all over my shoulders. I mean, this story is so real, and it's right there in front of you. And then I thought, this guy, unbelievable. And then I'm beating myself up. Why didn't I know this? Why didn't I dig deeper into him? But there's hmm. more. There's more. He was the creator of one of the top summer camps south of Spokane for handicapped children. Hmm. And uh, I forget the name right now, but he was the creator. And that's what he did in the summer. Him and his wife, besides all these foster children, started this handicap camp south of Spokane. And it just grew and grew and grew. And more people and more people came. You talk about spirit. You talk about God's hand, right? Mm-hmm. Just some kind of story. Yeah. And I think it's a great example of spirituality. Well, and it left a legacy. I think one of the things that I've been kind of chewing on lately is my this whole Aero School is to challenge boys to want to be men. Yes. And and why would they want to give up? Because right now I'm seeing boys that are 30 and 40 and 50. And I'm like, why would you want to give up the freedom or, you know, the power to do whatever you want to do? And I think we see with this with this gentleman, he left a legacy, and it's, it illustrates way better than what I was going to even going to write. It's just like he he left a legacy of of life, of building, of um, something that's going to continue past him mm-hmm. and touch more people than even people in, anybody knew. And he wasn't boastful about it. And yep. yet he still he still left an amazing legacy. 
I can still see his smile right now. Hmm. I mean, and there there are moments in all of us probably where we miss that opportunity hmm. to really find out about someone. Mm-hmm. So when we go to emotionally, you know, no. you would know, go ahead and uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I know what I'm going to say. How do yeah, you? Yeah. So, well, so yeah. So a story or a practical tip. I mean, how to provide and protect emotionally. Like one of the things that you said previously that I think probably applies to all these areas is don't make excuses. You know, I love, and you said this, I mean, the amount of mantras that I remember that you said, sit back, come back. Yes. You think you can or can't, you're right. When you make excuses, you lose your power. Um, these are things that you said over and over and over countless times over the, you know, five years, mm-hmm. You know, through summer, mm-hmm. actually, maybe more between summer camp and everything. But, but those those things, they because you said them over and over, and then I saw you live them out, and I saw the other coaches, and then you held us to that standard. You know, when we lost, we we didn't say, "Oh, it was the ref's fault." We looked back at ourselves and we're like, "We lost." Yeah. And then, how are we going to win next time? Right. So emotionally. Um, like I know you helped develop and I've seen you develop the self-esteem or even call out that in other, uh, boys as they're becoming men. But what practical thing would you tell like a 16 or 17 year old, or maybe a 22 year old that's listening right now, do this to grow emotionally. Yeah. I experiences with life has a way of bringing you down. And uh, back to that, he chases me down when I'm lost. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to, I think this will relate to a 16, 17 year old. How easy for our hearts to have a- anger, Zach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's times that uh, I think I've got it all figured out. I'm really doing well. Joan and I are, my wife, are driving back from Louisiana to the state of Washington and We've got one last stop in Idaho with the Garmin's. Now you can call when you start on your journey and you know exactly okay. what time you're going to arrive. Okay. We called for this hotel said we'd be there about five 30 and could we have a bottom floor? And the woman says, well, we, we are all filled up. We, we you're going to have to be on the third floor and I'm going to put you way at the corner. I'm already getting irritated by the remark. Hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, and I'm going, fight this, Craig, fight this. This, this. Why are you feeling this? I know, don't feel sorry for yourself because you've just driven 2,800 miles. <laughs> you know, it's, all, it's always this kind of stuff. And so we get, the, we finally drive all day. We get to the hotel and there's not a car in the parking lot. And it's uh, spring, you know, it's dark at 530 in Idaho. And uh, I go, what was this woman doing putting us on the third floor? There's not a car in the parking lot. Hmm. Says, There's got to be an explanation. And I, I, I just, I keep, I just really irritated and I could feel my anger rising. So we walk in, say, Oh, there's and this beautiful elderly woman, just great smile. Oh, I'm so glad that you're uh, Jack Craig Beverly and Joan Beverly, you know, on and on and on. I got fresh bag cookies for you. And I thought, now she's doing this, so I'm not going to scream at her. <laughs> and so we go upstairs and we get settled down. We order a takeout pizza or whatever. And I'm still complaining. 
why are we in the third floor in the corner? So anyhow, we get up. I'm an early riser. I get up, and I think it's about 5.30 in the morning. I go downstairs to get maybe a newspaper and a cup of coffee for my wife. And I look out, and the whole parking lot is full. Hmm. And I turn. They had to, the lady that checked us in wasn't there. She had a young high school girl there watching the thing. And I said, what in the world is going on here? There weren't. When we got here, there wasn't one car in the parking lot. Oh, that was because all the teams are staying here for the girls' state championships. Wow. And I'm going, oh, I don't even want to tell Joan this. You know? <laughs> I'm walking up, and I'm, and then I'm going, Joan, and I tell her, and she's, yeah, your anger got you again, Craig. And uh-huh. those, those are things you, you think you got everything figured out, and you don't. And, mm-hmm. and, we, and, and it, I'm sure with working with young men or whatever you're doing or a classroom, there's always a second story. Can you just be humble and empathetic? Mm-hmm. That woman was looking out for us. And the reason mm-hmm. she put us on the third floor of the corner, we wouldn't hear all the noise when the girls came home. Mm-hmm. You know, came late at night. Yeah. And, and she was being wonderful. Hmm. And I'm thinking angry thoughts the entire time. Hmm. So uh, lead to physical tear, I think is next, huh, Zach? Yeah, well, and that's what we'd, we've talked, and I feel like you've more demonstrated to me the, you pushed us physically. And and like I was relaying a little bit earlier, some of the, the hell that I have gone through on this life, um, the things with my wife, um, right. physically and, and emotionally and things with kids and the miscarriages mm-hmm. and, right. and all the things and, you know, um, my failures, there was a part that learning how to do things hard physically, um, and just even like the conditioning camps and, you mm-hmm. know, um, there's a funny story. Uh, I don't know if you want me to tell it or I'll tell it, but, um, uh, we're at football camp one time and I get extremely sick at football camp. And of course I'm running down the hallway to go into the bathroom and throw up all over the floor and who walks in, but coach Bev right there. And so, um, but we still, you, you understood our limitations and yet you pushed us right up to it. And that has helped me be disciplined spiritually has helped me be mm-hmm. able to overcome things emotionally. So what would you, you know, and you've seen over the years, so many young boys become men and especially probably physically and emotionally. What advice would you give? Um, or what did you learn or what would you pass on? Well, the, uh, the God gives you gifts. And if, if you can, Take a personality test. Then you know your gifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, mine is generosity. And uh, and I want to be a leader. I want to be in charge. And sometimes that detriment of sometimes of people or whatever. Uh, the guy I do a one-on-one Bible, ship st- or a Bible study with every week, he, he's an exhorter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, and I've been very lucky financially in my life. And, I, and it's all due to God period. It's all due to God. Every little thing that led me to financial uh, mm-hmm. 
security, again, is reflection. I didn't realize at the time. But mm-hmm. the physical part, uh, never be ashamed about what you do for work. There's dignity mm-hmm. in work. I, re- I will repeat myself. Getting up in the morning, make your bed, mm-hmm. get there on time, be the best you can be, which is the model of our school and a model of a lot of things. I stole that from a old coach in Michigan at a clinic, and I, I love that. And be the best you can be. Every day, everyone's had a bad boss. Everyone's had a lot of bad bosses, maybe. Mm-hmm. Everyone's had setback. It, it, the only way to get out of it is have humility, empathetic, and work. And, and everyone has had a lot of jobs. I have had something like 17 different jobs. Uh, I've had eight different jobs as a coach. I mean, there's just different things, you know, this and that. And what. I mean, and, and there's been some very difficult times on but you just, And it comes back to the self-talk we talked about and making excuses. And, and one of the, another great story that I can give you is about a nephew I have in the Midwest. He went to a teacher state college. Uh, he kind of minored in business. And lo and behold, when he graduated from uh, college, a big business company contacted him for an interview in downtown Chicago. And uh, he just had a few credits in business. And the rest was, he just didn't take too much. He was introverted, gangly. Uh, Never had any dates with girls or anything. He wanted to, but, and he gets this incredible interview and he can't believe he doesn't know why. Well, it turns out uh, this big financial company, they go all over the United States looking for people that stick out on what they do for work or what they did in college. They're not necessarily looking for that straight A student, whatever. They latched on to my nephew because they found out that every week, every weekend, he handled all the trash and all the garbage at the dormitory he lived at. Hmm. And it got to the uh, vice president of the college, I believe, if the story's right. And when they came in, they said, this guy, I'll just say Tony's his first name. So we got this kid, Tony, and he's to the detriment of all the people you know, everyone thought it was embarrassing beneath you. He he needed money. He needed to finish. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. needed to work to succeed. And, and he, he had a faith, too, about him. And uh, it's just, it's a simple story, but it says so much that uh, he was willing to take the garbage out from everybody's dorm room, et cetera. No one wanted the job, and yet he made great money. Hmm. And he got hired by that company, and he today is doing technical and logistics all over the United States with trains and trucks. He has an incredible job. Hmm. And uh, that's what happens. A lot of people think you got to have A's all the time. you got to have this. Where's your character? Mm-hmm. What, is your, what is your physical aspects of your life? And so uh, I love that little story. Well, and and specifically, 
I'm sure through the years you saw, you know, probably thousands of boys, you know, come through, you know, Kamiakin. I know you were down in Louisiana coaching as well and then back up in Washington. So you've mm-hmm. coached and in the Midwest, you've coached all over. I'm sure you saw boys that had character, but mm-hmm. then to that boy that maybe doesn't have the character, maybe they didn't have a great father figure right? or um, they were able to just kind of, you know, skate by. What did you see? I mean, it still seems like it's, it's a choice of the heart. And so you know, ne- you never can control someone, but what would you, what would you challenge them saying, Hey, it's worth it to grow in the character. Yeah. If it, uh, I told you this story the other day, I think, when you and I were talking about the difference between a nice guy and a good guy. Yeah, Did I share that yeah. with you a little bit? Yeah. And I think it's worth mentioning here, and it leads to what you're talking about. I went to a Saturday morning thing at our church. Every once in a while, they have uh, speakers there just for men. And uh, this guy came in, and wonderful speaker, and he starts off. Did you know that Jesus was not a nice Christian? And boy, you could hear a pin drop. Mm. He said Jesus was a good person. You don't want to be a nice person. You want to be a good person. Jesus used anger, sarcasm, et cetera, et cetera. And that thing hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm. And I thought, this is a great way. And I, and I ran a lot of teacher workshops, too. And I tried to share that to every teacher workshop that we put on, my wife and I and whatever. I always brought that thing up, that that little thing about don't be a nice person, good person. You know what a good person does? When three boys are walking by the door and saying filthy language, what does the good person do? Go out there and you confront them. Now, hopefully you won't get a hit in the mouth like I did. <laughs> but that 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 is just the simple things that can carry organizations, football teams, administration, it carries you. It's like a vehicle. And this, uh, I, I just, I love that thing about being a good coach. I'm not going to be a nice coach. Yeah. You say a bad word in the locker room and I, I see you, you're going to get dressed down. Mm-hmm. I'm not easy on any of that. Mm-hmm. I'm there. I'm there to be the best teacher slash coach I can be. And I, I, I used it for classroom management every time. I, I use it with my voice. I never had any problem with classes. But <laughs> but I started using it. I'd, I'd come in and I said, hey, my name's Craig Beverlin. Actually, Jack Craig Beverlin. But uh, I said, everyone calls me Bev. You can call me that nickname. It's fine. This is uh, what the players call me here when I coach football. And, uh, it's just what it is. But I'm not a nice guy. And boy, they are. I'm a good guy. And yeah, I think you I think you know what a good guy is, but you'll find out real quick and immediately, you know, your first mm-hmm. three days, you got mm-hmm. that Zach Miller back there maybe picking his nose and corn <laughs> buggers. No, not, you were never that, but anyhow, uh, you correct people. You confront mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you try to find a way to, play, to say, hey, good job, Zach. I like the way yeah. you talk today. I like your answers. You never leave something go you, you always try to bring them back and obviously there's some hard-headed kids you always have some right that, that's what you want to do you want to care about people you go back 
be humble, be empathetic. And of course, we had, uh, I had the ability uh, to be a leadership teacher. And then I want to use the pronouns we, us. I just mm-hmm. used I, uh, which I don't like using I, but they put me in a leadership room and I think I had two or three classes. And those were unbelievable experiences for me because we really didn't have uh, a plan other than we wanted to create leaders. So you go to heroes, you go to motivational books, you do all kinds of things. and. We found this one saying that we used forever. Do you remember what uh, uh, about the shade tree? Yeah, yeah. He. Why don't you tell me? Okay. Well, let me see if I can remember it. So, a true leader plants a shade tree, knowing he or she will never sit under it. Exactly. Did I get it close? <laughs> Absolutely. You, you. you it's, sometimes I say just he. Uh, he okay. or she <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, is a person who will plant, plant a shade tree knowing that he or she will never sit under it. And, of course, the logic of this is two things for people, and you may never get any credit, but it fills your cup up mm-hmm. with unbelievable things of Jesus and God. Mm-hmm. It uplifts your spirit of love, uplifts your next day when you're going to go to work. Uh, you name it. And uh, I, I love that saying. And I believe it was a uh, guy that said this it was a guy named Dennis Waitley. And I hope I have this right. I know he's passed, but he was a cr- incredible motivational speaker. So I want to make sure to give him credit. And then, and then culture. Uh, we had a fairly big high school, although our high school today, you and I were at, up to 2,000 kids. I think we're around 1,200 mm-hmm. kids. doesn't matter mm-hmm. how many yeah. kids you have. You, you always have some difficult ones and so forth. But I, I believe in sports in a big way. And I also believe in kids getting in leadership classes. Uh, it's a way to do March of Dimes. We had all our students. That's how they got points. That's how we were able to get their grades. We started all kinds of programs at Kamayakan High School because of our leadership classes. And it was students, students that were on fire. And there's so many things that our high school was still doing, all created by those leadership classes. And it started with that slogan at the top of the board. Every day when they walked in that classroom, they knew that we're going to follow that, that shade tree. Hmm. Well, in in the shade tree, it basically implies I care enough about not just myself. I care about others. I care about the person because a boy, I mean, I'm writing an article right now called that a boy leaves a a trail of carnage and a man leaves a trail of of legacy. And, Mm -hmm. And a boy... You know, I'm using my son and he has a club and I'm seeing a lot of other boys and they just naturally, they leave things everywhere. They leave wrappers, they knock things over, they, you know, rip up things, you know, and that's fine for this age because they're still learning how to control themselves really. Mm -hmm. But when we grow older, if we still act like that, you know, we're... 
it's selfish, really. If, if I'm 35 years old and all my decisions are just about myself, then it's like God gave me this power. He gave me this strength emotionally, spiritually, physically. And if I'm just using it for myself, I really don't care about anyone else. And I might for a moment be important, but like we were actually blessed down here. We're, you know, we're down here in Texas and we live in an older house and the gentleman um, that lived here 42 years ago planted some amazing trees. And so we are pretty much the envy of the whole neighborhood because we have the nicest trees that someone 42 years ago had the insight to say, I'm not just going to build a nice house. I'm not just going to build it cheapy, you know, cheaply. He right. took the extra time, money, effort to say what would make this the most amazing. And, and so we enjoy the benefits. Um, and so I love that. I, that's good. You reminded me of that saying, because that's a legacy, you know? Exactly. It, it, the, there's, um, uh, I, some of the things that we did at our high school that uh, and also leadership class, how can you make everyone feel like they're welcome? Hmm. And uh, I have a, this young man, again, I wish I had called him, but I, he's, I think he's a Navy commander now. But uh, he, he took the leadership class. His parents said, you need to take this class. Hmm. And he sat in the back row and he was shy, introverted. Uh, no one really talked to him. And uh, we had uh, a big, uh, to have the teachers stand, have a, uh, a challenge, kind of like uh, a game, who's the smartest, the students or the teachers. Mm-hmm. We did it as an assembly. And uh, I brought him up. He was a brilliant student. And then, like I said, he, he went to the Naval Academy. And I, I, I'll call him Bob. I said, Bob, I said, I want you to be in charge of this. And he's jaw dropped. Want me to be in charge of this whole thing? I said, yeah, this is what leadership mm-hmm. class is about. I'm not going to do these things. I said, you are. You, the students, you're in charge of this school. And I'll help you, but you're going to be in charge. Well, two years later, he, he's in the Naval Academy. And he said, it was because of that day that I could be in charge of something. That was one of the most most popular assemblies we put on all year, hmm. and it's those little things that. And I love the world of teaching. It's uh, it, it's. I remember I taught fourth grade for six years, and I loved every minute of it. Hmm. But I was the only. This will sound like bragging, but it isn't. This. <laughs> But I love these kids. And my last year, we had 38 fourth graders. Wow. I drove a school bus in the morning. I was head of the baseball uh, operation in town. I was the Pony League coach. I coached at, at the high school as assistant coach. You name it, I was doing it. And uh, I loved that. But I deep down, I wanted to be a head coach someday. And that was the school I took down the road after six years. But I, I I know I get a lot of remarks, negative remarks, when I put on the teacher workshops. I said I never believe in reading group. And I know there's a lot of science out there that says you should have reading group. Mm-hmm. I always believed, like that young man that sat in the corner of the room, that we, we 
are all together. Mm-hmm. And that fourth grade class for six straight years led the county in reading scores. Hmm. The next year, a young man that I had coached, he took my place at the fourth grade. He says, Coach, you didn't, didn't use grouping? I said, no. Everyone's in it together, and, and there's ways to work around this, but we want every kid to have good self-esteem. He did it for two years in a row, and guess what? Every, I mean, we led the county in reading scores. Now, I don't say that works for everybody, but the example I'm giving is we, us, everyone feels like they're part of this. And when you did that, one of the smartest kids in the class, they go, Mr. Beverlyn, uh, Johnny struggles a little bit. I said, I know. Can I work with him at lunch? Bet. That's what you get. Mm. See, that's what you get. Mm. You're you're building a ship. You're building a beautiful building. You're building a culture. Kids are helping each other. They're all feeling good about you, each other. And really, if you're humble and empathetic, when you're a student, didn't you cringe sometimes? The teacher calls on someone and they just, they, they can't get it. They stumble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how many times did they stumble? And there's seven years of school or whatever. It just fills them up with, they, they have no spirit. It's difficult for them to enjoy life. Still there? I think I lost you for just a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah. So go back to the, um, so, so, so basically you said that when, uh, in the classroom, when when someone would stumble, right, and, and that's where I missed you. Okay, someone would stumble. That you would almost invariably we'd get like the smartest kid in the class or whoever the smartest ones are. They'd come up and say, "Can we help? Can we help mm-hmm. him at lunch?" I mean, when you got when that students are want to help other kids during their recess time, you, you've won a lotto. You've mm-hmm. won the lotto. I mean, it's just. It's a, it's a great feeling. And again, humble and empathetic. And have you, did I introduce you to Maslow hierarchy of needs? I don't know if you did, but we definitely studied it at the academy. You did study it? Yes. Good. Yeah. Well, the one, the one thing that I love about Maslow hierarchy of needs is, is a chart, literally, that if you're living in the projects, wherever the projects are, the rural area or uh, some uh, reservation or some place this incredible poverty, very difficult for you to actualize as an adult because every day all you're thinking about, am I going to get a meal? Mm-hmm. Am I going to get killed? Mm-hmm. And you, you just can't uh, get people to actualize to be a full-grown adult, you know, hopes and dreams. It just doesn't happen. So when I was in this school for my first head job, I mean, it was a dangerous school in a lot of ways, a dangerous community. At one time, this city led the nation in murders per capita. Hmm. So it was huge. I knew deep down that I've got to do things and our coaches have to do things that these kids feel safe. So let's say 
Friday nights in a lot of these tough neighborhoods, that's the worst night. Mm-hmm. So we would uh, have a lot of Saturday games. So you, you're going, what can I do as a head coach? Well, let's get, I'm going to get all the assistance. And collaboration's huge and everything. Mm-hmm. Zach, collaboration, huge. Okay. And we got all the coaches, and we bounced this around. And one of the guys said, let's stay all night at the high school. And we'll maybe we'll work a deal with McDonald's and they'll bring food or pizzas. Mm-hmm. And we started doing that. And our kids didn't have to worry about you know, all the shots being fired and domestic abuse and all. And believe me, even in the wealthy areas, things go on on Friday nights. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just more secretive. But we did these Friday nights and showed movies, and, uh, and and that was part of the reason why we ended up, you know, eventually winning the conference and being in playoffs. We took Friday nights out of their lives, hmm. and we were applying Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Hmm. And the mothers, particularly, they felt like we were protecting their their boys. Yeah. And it's things like that. And... Uh, if we didn't have group meetings, like sometimes head coaches, we get full of ourselves. And I, 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 no, we, we, yeah. collaboration has got to be huge. And uh, I know in the military, that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and and when you feel, I just got done reading uh, Boys in the Boat. Have you read that? Um, I, about the 1936 rowing team from Washington. Yeah, I know. I, isn't there a little movie or a documentary on them? I think they did one as well. Yeah. So, and yeah, that's really, about. yeah, it's it's basically the same thing that they said. Up until that point, they had eight decent rowers, really good rowers, but they weren't a team. And and part of it was they'd all come from pretty rough backgrounds. Um, and so, for the most part, they felt they had to look out for number one. Mm-hmm. And when you have to look out for number one, then you really can't be a teammate. You know, if you've got exactly. to kind of, you've got to do everything. I just know, I remember Coach Mars so many times like, Miller, you only got to do this. Menjolis is going to do this. You need to do this. You know, exactly. and, and that's, and that's why I love team sports because I had my responsibility. I wasn't supposed to cover the whole field. I wasn't supposed to do everything. I had my area of responsibility and I trusted that Tom was going to do, you know, what he needed to do on his side. And, and, and that trust over time, a team can build that or it can get destroyed. And I've been in organizations where it's gotten destroyed. Something that a leader did destroyed the trust. And every once in a while, when that happens, everyone starts to, Oh, Oh, I'm going to take yeah. care of number one. Yeah. And no good team can do that. And that's, that was the secret. They finally, the, the, the boys in the boat, they finally realized we need to learn to trust and just do my best. And if I will just do my best and, and be in rhythm with the rest of the people on the team. And that's why they ended up winning the, you know, the Olympic gold. And, right. and it's such a cool story. And and I want to go back to the because I feel like there's a, maybe a, a gold a piece of gold of when you said not doing reading groups. So when you would have that fourth grade classroom, they would basically you would have them each take a turn reading out loud to the entire group. Is that what? Yes, yes. And okay. and uh, and there's I had taken a few reading courses uh, after I got out of college when I I just stumbled upon this fourth grade job 
I, I was just getting out of active duty and it was in the fall. And so you can't get a teaching job. So I subbed and, uh, and you know, it led to this fourth grade job the following year. And, mm. and uh, I just knew deep down how I felt. My grade school teachers were tremendous. They were the best teachers. Mm. Uh, kindergarten. Well, I got kicked out of kindergarten, actually. But <laughs> first grade. First grade. Uh, I loved them all. And mm. high school were pretty good. College, I, I, it, I went to a huge university and 250, 300 students, you know, that type of thing. It, it was difficult. Mm -hmm. You got down to your junior, senior year. But I want to, I want to talk a little bit about uh, two culture. Yeah. And, it, and, it, 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 and it's our first cousin to this reading thing. It all runs together for me that uh, how do you, how do you, when uh, you go out for football, and like we had, you know, large, you know, 130, 140 kids out. Mm -hmm. And how do you make that 140th child, student, young boy, freshman, you know, can't do 10 push-ups. He's out for football. Yeah. We don't yeah. cut anybody. The only way we cut you is if you're not doing your schoolwork mm -hmm. or, you, you're, or you, you know, you're not going to class, you know, you're, you're going to be off team real quick. But uh, how do you make him feel part of the team? Do you, do you remember Brave Deeds? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't you, didn't you, all four years, what was, we had an award, I can't remember it right now. Well, we had the Winner's Trophy. I remember I that you, yeah, one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You, the winners, winner's Trophy, uh, I think you got it all four years, didn't you? I did, except for my junior year, because cause that was the year that I actually... Um, I didn't play. Remember, so that was the so I I I got it the other three years. Okay, so it's a whole whole other story of the year I didn't play. I'll have to tell the story someday. So the winner's trophy for people that are listening to this is a way to make everyone feel like the 140th player is just as good mm -hmm. as the All American quarterback. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So for our audience, what we wanted to do is if you go to every practice and you go to every summer workout, you will be introduced first at our awards banquet. Mm -hmm. Now, how huge is that? Mm -hmm. When that ninth grader comes up and his mom and dad and grandparents and aunts and uncles are there because he's going to be the first one recognized. And it was just a small mm -hmm. little trophy, but it mm -hmm. says winner. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, I didn't realize this would happen after our first year, that all our parents on our first home game, everybody, either non-parents are watching to see who has the most stickers from yeah. Yeah. the winner's trophy type thing. And believe me, there, we had some kids that trotted out for the locker room that had only two on their helmet. And you'd say, well, that was embarrassing for him. <laughs> that's life mm -hmm. that's life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're not going to be a bunch of marshmallows around here and soft. The, the, the thing that people make mistakes on and groups etc is like the kindergarten teacher giving everyone a star yeah you, you, it's got to be meaningful yeah. and so when you see a player running out there and I, I I'll tell you Zach we had some starting running backs that didn't have a lot of brave he, you know, yeah. didn't have the stars mm -hmm. on there. Mm -hmm. But, I, of course, we made it a way that 
some people that couldn't show up in the summer came from split homes in which they'd have to go live with the dad. Mm-hmm. That we, you're still, we're still not going to give you any stars, but we tried to make it as fair as it can be. And it was a winning combination. And again, mm-hmm. it's kind of a thought that evolved through leadership class, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, because it's it, it. I think it rewarded it recorded uh, rewarded dedication. Because yes. I, I agree that we don't need to give everyone a trophy for for participating. I feel like that's the that cheapens, and, and yet you guys rewarded the dedication. You rewarded and and we got. I remember you gave. Uh, we got stickers for grades. Yes, we got stickers for community service for showing dying, up during the summer. Day. Yep, and then and we also got stickers for if you got a sack. I mean, and so it wasn't just outside. I mean, it was like you made a good play, or you scored a touchdown, or you, you know, recovered a fumble. So it, reco- it rewarded deeds as well. Yeah, but we had it wasn't uh, just on that. We yeah. had I think four pages of things on how you, you could get them. Yeah. And then uh, we started doing little things in the locker, the lockers you had. I don't know if it was before the construction of this remodeling or whatever, but we'd, you guys would get so many stickers that you'd have to have a thing hanging down inside your locker. <laughs> but hey, it goes back to Maslow, Maslow mm-hmm. hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. Jack Craig Beverlin enjoys being recognized today at 73. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. leave you. Recognition is huge. But it mm-hmm. has to be done with all of us and we're in a collaborative way. And we're all in it together. And your leaders say, well, my team, I, I hate that. Us, our, mm-hmm. we. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. once in a while you may forget to say I, but you never want to say my team. Yeah, I had a winning record. Those are poison pins. They defuse everything. Yeah. No, and everyone can see through it. I mean, I've been in the military now for 20 years, and everyone knows whether or not the commander is in it for themselves or not. Yeah. It's just so apparent. And then it's so refreshing when you get a commander who's planting shade trees. Yes. And usually, sadly, they don't get promoted. But but it was sure good to serve under them, you know, and and... And I've just always been, you know, you've been, uh, I always knew that you were studying leadership and you were always trying to grow in that. And that encouraged me to, okay, I'm going to pay attention to these leaders and I'm going to glean from them the things that, you know, that work and the things, um, sadly, I've had more leaders that I've learned what not to do than what to do. Um, but Coach Bevitt, you've always been one that I've like looked at you know, and said, I want to be like you. So thank you. I, so, so, you know, uh, the, go ahead. there's the, the only little negative thing I want to throw in there yeah. is, is that when you're doing motivating things and you're a leader and et cetera, I, uh, I remember once that I showed the Jackie Robinson movie in the leadership class mm-hmm. and it got around that I was showing, uh, sports movies. Hmm. And what I discovered that a lot of our teachers were jealous. Hmm. And then the principal finally came in and said, what are you doing showing a film on Jackie Robinson? 
And it turned out no one knew the story about Jackie Robinson. Hmm. Well, me coming from the Chicago area, I knew about Jackie Robinson in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Cubs and the Sox and, you know, the Dodgers and Sandy Koufax, a longtime pitcher. I mean, we all knew about Jackie Robinson. We knew he got court-martialed when he was mm-hmm. a lieutenant in the Army, and he was taking a bunch of men on a bus, and the bus driver said he wouldn't drive unless he sat in the back row. And here he is in charge of all the men. Hmm. And he refused to do it, and he got court-martialed. And I believe very strongly in teaching about racism and bigotry. And uh, and my dad, at the end of his life, was not a bigot. He was a World War II hero. He shot down two and a half planes. Uh, got a big write-up in the Des Moines paper in Iowa. Uh, but it took it took a lifetime for him to understand hmm. he was a bigot. Hmm. And and. Those are things we're fighting even today. What's going on in Minneapolis or whatever, you know, the different things. It's, it's, it's stunning to me that a bunch of teachers and our principal would not know the Jackie Robinson story. Hmm. I mean, the first African-American to play in Major League Baseball, the barrier, yeah. the things he went through. He was an incredible athlete. He was MVP mm-hmm. in the Rose Bowl. He was a track star. Baseball star, basketball. I mean, he was incredible. But more importantly, he was, you talk about guts and what he had to go through in Major League Baseball. Yeah. But uh, it's an unbelievable story. And I just watched the last three nights, Ulysses S. Grant. Have you seen it? No, I've heard about it. Well, here's another example. History books paint him as a drunk, right? Mm-hmm. This miniseries, very researched, is stunning what a hero he was. Hmm. I, I, my wife and I enjoyed every minute of it. And uh, sometimes our histories get revised. Or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. just don't know. But Zach, I've probably taken up too much of your time. I'm loving talking to you. No. Well, just just one one last question because. Yeah. I know more, you know, from, from, you know, so I've known you about 25, 26 years now. Who would you say growing up of, of who made you who you are or what was the, you know, I've seen you be a student of leadership and, and of men and teachers and everything along the way, but, but what, what was your model or, or can you share a little about that? I'm, I'm intrigued. I haven't, I, I don't know if I've ever heard anything about that. Well, like I said, I, my dad was a world war two hero and, and okay. was a bigot and everyone in our neighborhood was a bigot and mm. all the fathers were world war two veterans mm. and uh, they were rough, tough guys. Mm. Uh, all of them felt very lucky and they would not talk about the war. Uh, and they were rough. If you, we we had a, a gang of us, eight, nine, ten boys playing ball all the time, summer, whatever. And uh, we ran in one of the neighbor's yards. I mean, you better hurry up and get that ball because that guy's going to spank you. I mean, every, everyone <laughs> spanked everybody's kids. You know, yeah. it, it was a fun life growing up. But all the dads got paid every two weeks, and mm. all the dads went to the tavern on the day they got mm. paid. And and there was some. There were some issues with alcohol. Uh, yeah. And so most of the friends 
that I was with and, and I'm still am today with a, our grade school teachers were the ones we looked up to. Hmm. Uh, very few men in the grade school. It was women. And I know that uh, when we moved out to Washington, uh, a friend of mine did uh, try to get all the grade school teachers that had me as a student come to our going away party. And I yeah. think I think uh, seven out of the eight came. That was wonderful. They were all wow. my age when I'm age right now and whatever. And it just solidified all the more. Uh, these women, they were my, they're the ones that they spanked me. I got spanked every year. Hmm. They had the wooden panels, but yeah. I loved every one of these women. They were phenomenal. Hmm. And uh, later on, my dad and I uh, grew t- together better. Uh, but they they were rough, tough guys, and they all liked their beers. Hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it was it was a different different time. And then, of course, we had the turmoil with Vietnam, and uh, all these men were, why aren't you signing up? How come you're not going to the Marines? I want you, you go to the Marines or the Navy, you know, uh, you don't need to go to college. I mean, there was a Mm -hmm. lot of, uh, boy, just tough times, tough situations. So, uh, I, right now, even though I'm 73, I'm going to do that. I'll be there in a week and a half, but, uh, I feel like I need men in my lifetime. I don't think it'll ever leave me. And I've got a great guy. He's 90% blind. And uh, when we go to high school football games, I got to act like I'm a radio broadcaster. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And pretty soon people are turning around. They go, why are you talking to him all the time? You're ruining the game. I said, he's blind. Oh. (laughs) But we have, this guy knows the Bible inside and out. And he knows Mm -hmm. all of, uh, you know, that he's got a photographic memory. Hmm. And he was uh, in construction all his life. And literally no one knew he had a photographic memory. And hmm. he, you named a song, Arlo Guthrie's, all these kind of things. And yeah. he, he can sing every word, so on and so forth. So uh, he's been my my guy. Uh, of course, my dad's passed. Uh, and Tony Dungy. Hmm. I read out of the Tony Dungy book every single night. Hmm. He has a book called Uncommon Daily Challenges. And I really have connected with it. Hmm. And I've had it a long time. Before I go to bed, he'll, he'll have a Bible verse, and then he'll have a full page athletically what that coach should do and carry forward that Bible verse. Hmm. And then down at the bottom, he has simple language for guys like me that can't figure out all the parables. <laughs> and I, I tell you, I I just love doing it. And, and fun. sometimes I forget to do it one night, and the next morning I get up and I grab it. And, but uh, those are the things that carry me, Zach. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Coach Bev. I think that's a great, just great way to end of just that I don't think, I think it would be prideful to ever say that we've arrived as a man. I think it's, it's the humility to say, you know, until we get go home to be with the Lord, you know, and oh. then, well, I mean, he is that true father yes. but that I, I mean, I've been so blessed to have so many men in my life to, 
to guide and to encourage and to rebuke me, you know, to Zach, you're, you're a brat, you know, that's, you know, those types of things, those are where, and it's so interesting that, that you talked about your grade school teachers and you respected them because they did discipline you. Yes. And, and I think that that is, um, we as men need to be willing to discipline one another in love, in care, not for ego, but when you know that something, someone's doing something that is not good for them, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to love them and care enough to say, uh, you're wrong and I love you and I'll help you, help you out. But just want to say thanks again. Look forward to having you back on the Aero School for Men. And um, Coach Bev, tell uh, Mrs. Beverly hi for me and, uh, and love that family. And uh, hopefully we'll see you all once this whole uh, time passes. But uh, God bless again. And thank you for, uh, for joining us. Thank you. And God bless you, Zach. Have a good day. You too. Bye.